Hello, I'm Darren Heath, and I'd like to welcome Caroline Stockman, Chief Executive of the Association of Corporate Treasurers, back for the next of our Strategic Insights series of podcasts. Caroline's focus today is on the benefits of diverse teams. Thanks, Darren. I was very taken some years back by the research Joe DiStefano and Martha Majnevsky from IMD Business School in Lausanne were carrying out around diverse teams. The hypothesis was that diverse teams outperform homogeneous teams as long as they accept their diversity. So, if they're dysfunctional, diverse teams can be a disaster. Then there are homogeneous teams which can function quite well. They get along and come up with good results often, but are somewhat limited as there's a lot of groupthink going on naturally. But the diverse teams who enjoy and appreciate their diversity can really deliver the best results. The theory made sense and appealed to me, but was also based on a lot of academic research. Statistics from Peterson suggest now that a 30% increase in senior women translates into a 15% increase in profitability. And a 2016 BCG survey suggests that innovation jumps 10% once the proportion of female managers in an organisation exceeds 20%. The 30% Club talks about the benefits of diversity of widening the talent pool, better reflecting a diverse customer base, improving corporate governance as well as organisational culture, and breeding innovation, as I've just mentioned. Studies show that ethnic diversity breeds greater innovation too. Why is it then that we so often don't see businesses reflecting the diversity of society? I think there are many factors at play, but rather than set out all the reasons here, I'd like to first of all give a few examples of the benefits of diverse teams that I've experienced, and then share a few thoughts as to how to make existing teams more diverse and inclusive because people won't join or stay if they don't feel welcome. When I worked for Unilever Thailand, we were an equally split board in terms of men and women, and we had a mix of Thai, Dutch, English and French members. The company was in the top 20 of Unilever organisations, and was one of the few at the time which was experiencing double-digit growth. There was also a great mix of both teamwork and entrepreneurship going on. I can think of another very large organisation I worked for, where diversity was practically non-existent at the top. A few different nationalities, but all middle-aged, white, Western men. The organisation couldn't understand why it was so hard for them to retain women. But it was clear to me that if you didn't find a rather top-down, aggressive, autocratic culture which tolerated tantrums from its top leaders attractive, then you weren't going to stay long. I was brought in to try to change some of that. But the issue was, it's very hard to do unless there's some critical mass of like-minded people around you. And it's impossible to do if the group does not accept differing views. Suffice to say, the results of the company were not brilliant and innovation was limited. So what to do to attract more diversity and retain it? First of all, talk about it, then show you mean what you say. There's great merit in being explicit about your beliefs, which I'll come on to next time. Urge recruiters to provide you with a diverse candidate field. Ensure your HR policies are not discriminatory. Even use of language can give a strong message one way or another. Celebrate diversity by having a calendar of events through the year. Your work calendar can help if you set it to show all religious and public holidays, for instance. Avoid having international meetings on those particular holidays. I remember at British Council having difficulty finding dates which worked for everyone, given the variety of countries. So I set my calendar to show all the public holidays for India, Israel, UK, Singapore, Kenya, etc. It made planning so much more efficient. And avoiding travel for people on their weekends, and remembering we don't all operate the same weekend, is really important. Think also about where people have to work. I had our comms person working out of Nairobi when at British Council. It meant a more diverse team, and we just had to learn to work a little differently. 
Flexible working, I believe, is going to become more and more important over time. And we need to acknowledge that there are distinct pluses about it in terms of diversity. I heard recently about an IT firm which insists everyone has to work full-time in one location. They feel it aids innovation. They also seem to have a rather non-diverse staff. And so the research on diversity would suggest that they've got this all wrong. Yes, it might be comfortable for all to be in the same place together. And we are basically lazy creatures, according to some research. But what's the cost? Think of practicalities as well when trying to ensure inclusivity. What about advocating for gender-neutral toilets so everyone can feel catered for? Or ensuring your away days don't involve non-inclusive activities? I remember planning one in Thailand where the idea was to hire a boat, not realising at first that it's very common in Thailand for people to get boats sick. Accessibility when visiting other premises. These may all seem very normal considerations nowadays, and many organisations have good and clear policies. But I see again and again how people assume everyone is like themselves when they're making decisions. Just some food for thought. Thanks for that, Caroline. Such an important subject, this. And next time, we're moving on to talk about being explicit, which sounds very intriguing. If you want to find out exactly what that's about, do be sure to come back to us then. In the meantime, from Caroline and from me, goodbye and thank you for listening.